0: Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. All right, good morning. It's good to see all of you here and welcome to Harvest, especially if you are new. Uh, As Pastor Eric said this morning, we are starting a new series that will be going through the entire year called The Whole Story. Jesus from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it's called The Whole Story because as we'll see, every story, every command, every character, and every book of the Bible is coming together to tell one story about Jesus. See, the Bible is not primarily about you and me. And when we see that the Bible is not just a book of good advice or for self-help, and that its main goal is to help you fix your eyes on Jesus and to love him more, then the Bible will actually change your life. So from the sermons on Sunday mornings to small groups to our Bible reading plan, which if you haven't picked one up yet, this is our Bible reading plan. You can get one on the way out. How many of you have started the Bible reading plan? Okay, several of you. Awesome. It is not too late to jump in. You can grab one of these on your way out and jump in with us and catch up if you'd like. And even our kids ministry is going to be going through the entire Bible, the Jesus Storybook Bible this year. So all of us together will be going through the Bible in a year. And I want to invite you to join us and to follow along with us and see the beauty of Jesus, the most wonderful story ever told. So last weekend, Pastor Eric opened us up. He gave the foreword to the series as he talked about the beauty and authority of Scripture, of the Bible. Today, we start from the very beginning in Genesis 1. So if you got uh, a new Bible for Christmas, you've never known uh, what the Bible is or where to go, this is going to be page 1, okay? Genesis 1, verse 1. It'll also be on the screen up here for you. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water, and God said, let there be. The next several days, the next six days, God is going to create everything that exists. He's going to say, let there be light, and there will be light. He'll create the heavens and the land and sea and plants and trees and sea creatures and animals. And then jump down to verse 26 with me. It says, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over creation. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the creation. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Continuing in chapter 2, we get some more details. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and rested on the seventh day from all the, his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Verse 7, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Verse 9, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And then verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now there's a lot to pack in these two chapters, but we're going to talk about three main things this morning. We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about man and we're going to talk about Jesus. Okay, those three things will set the foundation for the rest of our year through the Bible. God, man, and Jesus. Okay, first, let's talk about God. I want to tell you five things about God. God said there, uh, we're going to talk about three things, but each thing has like five things, okay? So bear with me. The sermon's not going to be any longer. The first thing about God that we see is that he's eternal. God is eternal. Before creation, before Genesis one one, where was God in the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth, right? There was nothing, and then there was something. But what about God? Where was He? God was not created, He didn't create Himself. God is outside of creation and time. God is He, always was there. Was never a time that He wasn't, He's eternal. So, what was God doing? He was. Trinity. And that's number two. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now you might be thinking, where was that in Genesis 1 and 2? Right? Chapter 1, verse 26, God says this, let us make man in our image. Who is God talking about? Who is God talking to? Not the angels or the rest of creation. For all of eternity, before there was even time, God existed. He was eternal, fully sufficient, and in perfect loving relationship between the Godhead. So there was a time that God was not a creator, right? He was not the creator at some point in time before he created, but there was never a time that he was not God as Trinity, okay? Three persons. First, the Father. God the Father is who we're oftentimes thinking about when we read in the Bible, God or the Lord, or Yahweh. Okay, The Father is the fount, the origin of all things, like the will of God and the counsel of God, that all comes from the Father. Second, you have the Son. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says this of the Son. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, some people will read that and say, Aha! Jesus was lesser than the Father because he was born. He was the firstborn of creation. But that's not what Colossians 1 is saying. Firstborn is a term for preeminence, meaning that he is above all creation. And that's not what Jesus himself, when he lived here on earth, claimed about himself. In John 8.58, 8, Jesus would say, before Abraham was, I am. I am, Yahweh. John 10.30, he would say, I and the Father are one. And Philippians 2 would talk about how Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, as something to be held on to when he took on flesh, meaning he was equal to God, but he laid that down to become one of us. In all of these instances, Jesus was claiming to be God. And then you have the spirit of God. who We see in verse two, hovering over the waters, the spirit who is fully God and no lesser than the father or the son. In various places throughout the scriptures, it talks about the spirit as the helper or the sealer, the one through whom Jesus will keep his promise that he will never leave or forsake us. So think about this. Jesus makes a promise to his disciples and to us that he will never leave or forsake us, but then he ascends to heaven. He leaves. So how is he going to keep that promise? And he actually tells his disciple before he ascends that it's better for him to leave so that the Spirit can come. What could be better than Jesus being with you? So Jesus is able to keep this promise that he'll always be with us and never forsake us because the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ is God himself who will dwell within us. Now here's an interesting note about the spirit. And you see this all throughout the scriptures. So there's a this is just a side note for you to keep track as we go through the Bible. Okay? The spirit at the beginning was hovering over the face of the waters. And there's a theme about water all throughout the scriptures. So every single major movement of God in the Bible there is some kind of water element. Okay? In the creation The Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. With Noah, a worldwide catastrophic flood, there's water involved. In the Exodus, when God delivers his people out of slavery, he splits the Red Sea. As they go into the Promised Land, God stops the Jordan River. There's water baptism with John the Baptist and Jesus. There's baptism of the Holy Spirit, who is called living water. And in heaven, in Revelation 21, it says, there's no more sea. All right, take note of that. Remember that as we go throughout the scriptures and you'll see. So you have the Trinity, three distinct persons. The father is not the son and is not the spirit. The son is not the father or the spirit and the spirit is not the father or the son, but they are still one God and there's never any division. How many of you are confused? And that seems impossible. That seems hard to understand. And that's what it's like to be human. This is how we all feel. Now, we should try to comprehend God, to understand God, especially as he is revealed to us through his word. But at the same time, it would be a little foolish of us to think that our finite human minds could fully comprehend who God is. And especially to go as far as to say, I don't fully understand God. Therefore, he must not be real. If that's the case, that man could fully understand God, then some would say, then that God is too small. Paul in Romans 11 would say, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor. And this foundational doctrine of the Trinity is one of the reasons, not only why Christianity is different from every other religion, but it's what convinced me that Christianity is true because this idea that God is one and yet three persons is so wonderful and yet incomprehensible that I knew that no human being could have ever just made that up. So he is Trinity. Number three, God is love. God is love. So God existed in perfect loving relationship for all of eternity. So if God had no needs, and he was fully satisfied in himself, why did God create? Why did God even create? God would have been just fine by himself. He would never have felt like something was missing if he never created and just existed for all of eternity, the rest of eternity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God created not out of need, not out of loneliness or boredom, but because God, he is love. And because God is love, the most loving thing that he could do out of the overflow of his love is to allow others to know and experience his perfect love, right? All human analogies break down when you're trying to explain God and especially the Trinity. But it's like when a husband and wife are in a loving relationship with one another. The overflow of that love, the fruit of that love, of that relationship is oftentimes a baby. They didn't need a baby. In fact, as great as babies are, they're hard. And all the parents said, Amen. So God created because he is love out of the overflow of his love. Next, God is creator, he is the creator. God created ex nihilo. Okay, that's a fancy way of saying God created everything that we see out of nothing. There was nothing. And then he spoke some words and then. All of a sudden, boom, there it was. Okay? It wasn't out of random circumstance that the universe and life came to be. It was very intentional. Everything God created was for his glory. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And Romans eleven thirty six, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. And the way that God created was simply with words. I love the way that Tim Keller says it. He says that God's words are his deeds. His words are his deeds. And so when he says, let there be light, boom, there's light. His words are power. They're not empty. His words aren't ever spoken in vain or just well-meaning. His word never fails. And so when God speaks, it's as good as done. And then lastly, God is good. God is good and all that he does is good. The creation account repeats that God created something, and then he saw it, and then he, he declared it to be good. It's similar to God's love because God is good. So the things that flow out of him are good. And if you look at creation, everything that God created and how he created them was not just generally good, but it was for our good, for man's good, the sun, for light, land to live on, plant and trees for the air we breathe and the food to eat, water to drink and animals for our enjoyment and rule. And when Adam was alone, God created a helper for him. And he also created the Sabbath, a day of rest. God didn't need to rest. He doesn't get tired and weary as man does. That's what Isaiah 40 says. But God rests because he's good. He models for man the pattern for what is good. So all of God's good doings, his deeds, point to the fact that his character and his intentions toward us were all good. He gave us everything that we needed, life, provision, a relationship with him to show us that all of our needs, all of our longings are met in him. And, only, and because only God is God, right? Only God is God. No one else is God. Only he's God. And he's good. And so only he is a sole and rightful determiner of what is good, right? He gets to say what is good and what is not because he's God and because he's good. He knows what goodness is. He sets the objective standard for truth and what is good. And it doesn't matter what you and I think. On what basis would any one of us deem something to be good or bad about sexuality or oppression or racism? Our opinions are just that. They're just opinions. Only God can determine what is good or bad, and it doesn't change based on time, location, people, or culture. His truth is his truth for all time, for all people. So when we think and feel differently from what God has laid out as good in the Bible, we shouldn't question God or the Bible then, but our thoughts and feelings because they are what is out of sync with what is good and true. Now, there's a lot more that we can say about God from these two chapters, but it is of the utmost importance that we understand who God is, that he is eternal, that he is Trinity, that he's creator and love that he's good because it's only in light of understanding who he is that we can understand everything else, like who we are, who man is. And this is the next five things about who is man. What do we learn about man from Genesis 1 and 2? First, as Pastor Eric shared just a moment ago, we were made in God's image. God breathes life into dust and makes man in his image, after his likeness. If you've ever heard the words imago Dei, that's what it means, in the image of God. And because the imago Dei, because of the image of God, as Pastor Eric said, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. Nothing else in creation bears God's image like we do, not even the angels. So here are three things that the imago Dei means for us. First, and this is crucial, we are like God, because we are made in his image, but not God. Let me repeat that. We are like God, but we are not God. Okay, we are still the creation, finite beings. Okay, second, because we are made in God's image, every single human being, regardless of sex, how much money they have, their family name, ethnicity, past history of decisions and how they live their lives, have all of these people have eternal dignity and value. Solely because they bear God's image. From the person in KL that sweeps the streets and cleans the city to the person who owns it all, everyone is equal in value before God. And third, if God is our creator and he made us in his image, then our life's purpose is, and meaning is set by him. It's set by our creator. We don't get to decide Oh, I'm going to go off and determine what's going to make me happy. Or this is how I'm going to fulfill myself or what dreams I want to pursue. We were made by him and for him to have a relationship with him, to enter into the love of the father and the son and the spirit, and to experience the fullness of his goodness. Because you are made in the image of God, you will never find life. You'll never find life or your place in life until you have found God and yourself in God. And when you do, you'll find that the greatest joy, your fulfillment and meaning is in him. This is why Jesus sums up all of the commandments in the Bible that they can be summed up as love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. To reflect that, the love that exists within the Trinity and the love that God has for us. And like God, we're supposed to love and do good deeds, and do good through our words and our actions for his glory. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. So that's first. We're made in God's image. Secondly, like God who worked the first days, first six days of creation, we were created to work. That's number two about man. We were created to work. Oftentimes, we associate work with the fall, right? Work is hard. I don't like to work. So it must be the result of the fall. That's because of sin that we have to work. But that's not the case. God gave man work to subdue and have dominion over everything before Genesis 3. He gave man work in Genesis 1 and 2 before the fall in Genesis 3. The difference after the fall is that our work became hard. It became toil. So work is actually a good gift from God. We are supposed to work like God. And we're also supposed to rest like God, to take a Sabbath. Okay, note which comes first for man, work or Sabbath. Man is created on the sixth day. And the first day after man is created, what does God have man do? Nothing. It's the seventh day. It's the Sabbath. And so they just rest and get to enjoy God. God made the Sabbath for our good. And so when we work every day, we actually violate our nature in God's good created order for us. Does anyone ever struggle with not taking a Sabbath, not resting? I do. The idea of rest sounds so sweet. I want it so desperately. But for whatever reason, we reject the idea of rest as being good. We think it's restrictive God is keeping us from something and we become proud of how hard-working we are how mentally strong we are not to need a day off and we inflate our sense of self-importance I have so much to do it all depends on me and if i don't get it done everything's going to fall apart and some of you need to hear this I need to hear this sometimes saying no even to good things is the most god-honoring thing that you can do some of you need to say no to some good things so that you can rest. Again, we are not God. We're not God. We need rest. God actually made us in such a way that we have a daily reminder that we're not God because we have to sleep every day for like eight hours. That's a third of the day. We're laid out flat on our backs, doing absolutely nothing productive, just sleeping. Right? And we're like God. And so we're supposed to live in ways that may be counter to the culture and the world that we live in, where people will do whatever they can to get ahead, to make a little bit more money, to gain a little bit more prestige. And we're supposed to do that because we trust in God. We trust him. Next, we were made for community. We were made for community. The one thing God saw in all of his good creation and said, it is not good. There's only one thing, and that was that man was initially alone. Man's relationship with God was not lacking in any way or at all, but God still said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates woman and tells them to be fruitful and to multiply. Because we were created in God's image, God who is in relationship, we also were created for relationship, for community, and not just with God, but with one another. If you look at the two most important institutions created by God, marriage, it was intentionally designed to reflect Christ's love and relationship to his church. A husband and wife, two different persons become one flesh and the other, the church. Many members, but one body with Christ as the head. Both show the diversity and yet oneness that reflects the Trinity. So in the beginning, man's vertical relationship with God was perfect. And man's horizontal relationship, like a husband to his wife, was also perfect. Can you imagine that? There was no fighting. And I tell my wife, Grace, that our marriage could look like that if she would just stop being a sinner. But she won't listen to me. Now, you might be thinking, people are terrible. Uh, They can't be trusted, they're mean, they lie, they're dumb, they're creepy, they're annoying, they're boring, they're weird. Some of you guys are thinking about specific people right now. So-and-so, I can't stand them. And maybe you're right, I don't know. And I'm not saying you have to be best friends with everyone, but you cannot become like God apart from deep, meaningful, God-honoring relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not possible. So practically what this means for some of you is that you need to get into a small group. Okay? And not just be in the WhatsApp group. You need to really actively participate and go to small group. And you need to come to church regularly. It shouldn't be an optional activity that you just go when it fits into your schedule. You should come to church as if your life, your well-being depends on it. Because it does. And I would go even further and say that you need to find a place to serve on a team in church. My church back in the U.S., the church that sent me out here to KO, a church of about 12,000 plus people. And every year we would do a survey of all of these people and ask them, what makes you feel the most connected to church? And without any deviance, every year people would say the people who felt most connected to church are not the people who came every week. They're not the people who, who went to small group. They are the people who served on a serving team. So after the service is over, if you're not on a serving team somewhere, go to the connect table and get more information. Because biblical community leads to life. And it's in this community, in your community, that you're supposed to practice all the one another's that we see in the Bible. To love one another. And yes, that also includes bearing with one another. Okay, the Bible says, Proverbs 18.1, an isolated man seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. David Paulson, a Christian counselor, says that things that grow in a secret garden always grow mutant. It always gets messed up. And so you need to be in community. Fourth, we were given volition. We were given volition. So God gave us intellect. He gave us emotions, a heart, and a volition, the ability to freely make our own decisions and to use and do our own will, okay? God didn't make us to be fully programmed robots that have no choice, okay? And the only prohibition, the only thing God said don't do is he told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not because he was keeping something good from them, but because he was protecting them from something that wasn't. and I'll leave that there for Pastor Eric next week in Genesis 3. And then lastly, number five, man was naked and not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. God saw man. They were fully exposed to God and to one another. But they were so free and secure in the love of God and his approval that they were naked and not ashamed. There was nothing wrong. There was nothing to hide, nothing to hide from. It's like little kids running around the house naked. They don't think anything of it. They could be totally fine. They'd run around outside in public naked. They're, they're not ashamed of it. It sounds terrifying for us as adults. Now, we have bad dreams about well, we're in the grocery shopping. All of a sudden, we're naked. It's terrifying to us. But in the beginning, in God's presence, there was nothing to worry about, nothing to fear, no shame and nothing to do, no even space in our mental or emotional capacities to do other than to fully enjoy God and the work that he gave us. And that's the summary of man from Genesis 1 and 2. We are created in God's image to be in loving relationship with him and with one another to work and to rest. And because our relationship with God was whole, it was unbroken, everything in the world was at peace and it was good. It was very good as God saw it and said. Now, that all sounds amazing, doesn't it? Wouldn't it be awesome to still be in the garden with God like it was in the beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2? It sounds like heaven, because it was. I want to take you all the way to the end of the Bible, to the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. Look at this with me. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Revelation 22 verse one. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit This is the new creation that is coming, and that will be for all of eternity, the new heavens and the new earth, where everything is good and right again, the tree of life, the river of life, and us back in the presence of God. See, Revelation tells us about this restoration of all the broken things back to the way they were in the garden in Genesis, and it's all because of Jesus. And the whole Bible points to him and is telling this story, his story. Let me show you by taking you to John 1. That opens up like Genesis 1. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as Of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. The Creator God in Genesis 1 and 2 has a name, the eternal, loving, and good, and one true God of all the universe who spoke everything. Into being has a name. His name is Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, knowing this, let's go back to Genesis 1 to an important detail in verse 2. Before there was light, there was darkness. And then God spoke and created light to scatter the darkness. And in the same way, the creator, Jesus, became like the created to save his creation. With our sin, Our relationship with God was broken. The imago day, the image of God was marred, but not lost. And so Jesus took on flesh and stepped down into our darkness to be the light and life of the world. Because God is love, because he is good, not because he was obligated in any way, he made a way to restore us back into his love. As many children's books would say, this is the pattern of his work. He makes the dark things light and the broken things right. 1 John 4, 9-10 says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation meaning that he was the satisfaction, he satisfied God's wrath against our sin. So Jesus, he would accomplish this at great cost. The light of the world would be by darkness slain. When Jesus died for our sins, he died on the sixth day, the same day that man was created, and the earth went dark, just like before the creation. And then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave, he rose again on the first day of the next week, as if he was beginning a new creation. After Jesus' resurrects from the dead, the first time he meets his disciple, he breathes on them, which is kind of weird at first. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Just like when God breathed life into man for the first time and gave him life in Genesis 2, 7. He is beginning the new creation in them. See, Jesus died for us by entering the darkness of death so that we who are dead and in darkness could be raised to new life as new creations. He's making all things new. The apostle Paul would say in Romans, "Even all of creation is longing for this redemption." So in your life, he says, "Let there be light." Where Jesus is not lord, where there's darkness and sin prevails, let there be light. Many of you have real struggles in your marriage, in finances, in health, in addictions, in sin that is choking the life and joy out of you. In all of those places, in the deepest and darkest places in your heart, God says, let there be light. Let Jesus enter in and break through. This is who God is. This is what he does. This is the work that he is doing in you. His ultimate purpose and most loving thing that he does for us is making us like Jesus restoring the Imago day, Like Jesus, he makes you righteous and he makes you a son and daughter. And the promise that he gives us is he who started this good work within us, he will surely bring it to completion at the day of Christ. He won't fail. He won't fail. See, Genesis 1 and 2, it sets the stage for the whole story. Of how it all started so perfectly with god and man the garden it was like heaven because of the presence of god and starting next week we're going to see how we messed it all up and everything went wrong and why the world is broken as it is today but more importantly we're going to see how jesus came how he lived and died and rose in the grave to rescue us back to an eternity and restores all that was good in Genesis 1 and 2. And in the waiting until we are with God in heaven, like God, like Jesus in creation and in salvation, we are supposed to use our words to bring light and life into the world, to call people out of darkness, to bring them back into right relationship with God. And it doesn't happen by just good deeds, by doing good things. We have to share the gospel, the word of God, Jesus, through our words, and prove them by our deeds. And so wherever there is darkness and brokenness in our city, in KL, the members of this church should be present. That's our task. That's our mission as a church, to advance Christ's kingdom through the gospel. Now, if you're here today and you don't know the God of Genesis 1 and 2, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. He is the one that you've been searching for. Everything that you've been looking for, for purpose, for meaning, for joy, for fulfillment, it's all only found in him. You were made for him, your creator, your God, your savior. But you have to make the choice. Either you can surrender your life to him and declare that he is God, that he is your maker where you can live as if you're God and be separated from him for all eternity. He's not going to force you. He's not going to force that upon you. And so you have to make the choice. Will you give your life back to him today? I want to invite you all to bow your heads with me. Feel bow your heads. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, and this is the first time that you've heard about how he's created you, how he loves you, how he's pursued you and made a way for you to come back to him. Right now, in this moment, you can pray just a simple prayer. Just say something like this. It doesn't have to be these exact words. You say, Jesus, I know that you made me, and I was made for you. But in my life, I've turned away from you. I've rejected you. And I've done things my own way. But I now know your love for me. I now know that I was made for you. And so I repent. I turn back from living my own way. I turn back to you and I give my life to you. If you're here and you're a believer today, isn't Jesus wonderful? He is so loving, the God of all the universe. He's not just the God of love and goodness out there, but he is a God of goodness and love to you. He is good to you, and he loves you. So I want you to just sit for a moment as our worship team comes up, as we get ready to sing again. Just let the Spirit speak to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, what would it look like to surrender your life to Him? I'll tell you one thing that I will do. You'll find life. You'll find joy. And if you've done that today, if you've made that decision, we want to know. We want to celebrate with you. So after the service is over, you come to the front, and our pastors will be up at the front. we love to hear about what God has done in your life. God, we worship you. The God of the universe who spoke everything into being with just words. And we marvel at your love and goodness towards us. God, we didn't deserve it, especially when we walked away from you but because you will always be faithful to who you are, your love and your goodness, you pursued us through your son, Jesus. So we thank you for him. We worship him and we praise him today. Would he become larger in our hearts through the power and the work of your spirit? We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.